Hello, friends, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I am so honored that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on or in the Learner's Corner. Today, I am honored to be joined by Marianne Lewis, who has recently co-authored the brand new book called Both and Thinking, Embracing Creative Tensions to Solve Your Toughest Problems. And I'll tell you a little bit about the book and our conversation and what you have to look forward to and what got me interested in this here in just a second. However, if this happens to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner, I do want to tell you about a couple of things. The first one is this, is that we truly want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. And what we're going to engage in today sometimes can be a difficult conversation because it involves paradoxes. It involves a, a lot of tension that can happen in it. And depending on how you handle those conversations, how you use your words, how you listening as well, that could determine whether or not the conversation is helpful, is, is fruitful as well, and is respectful. The other thing is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them. And this idea also falls into that because there's going to be times to where people who are on the other side of the very thing that we are disagreeing with and how do you, how do you work together to work through that tension that is just created in it. We believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, regardless of whether or not that thing is serious or whether or not it's something very trivial. And we want to become the mentor that we had. Maybe the person who was there for us and helped us guide us along the way. Or maybe we didn't have that person. And maybe we hope to be the person that we wish that we had had at one point in our life. And helping them just journey on along the path of lifelong learning. But regardless of wherever you find yourself today or whatever resonates with you in that, Today, I am joined by Marianne Lewis to talk with her about this idea of paradox, of how do you engage in that thing from, and just some examples would be from saving to spending, from structure to flexibility to, um, I, I guess, uh, even, I guess, that I was thinking like um, authority to flexibility as well. And, and just, a, a, we're going to get into a lot of different examples in here. But this is what got me interested in it, is because we all deal with this. And this is what I love about the book, is that it can be viewed as a business book. However, they approach it much more of a, like a life. We all have to deal with paradoxes in our life. And how do you deal with that well? How do you handle that well? Because they're conversations that are going to happen. And so how can we make sure that they happen well and happen respectfully as well? And we are able to engage in helpful and healthy dialogue in that. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Marianne. However, um, actually, I almost forgot this. If you have an idea or something that you would love us to cover on the podcast, please reach out to me at learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. You may have an idea for someone that might be good for us to talk with on the podcast. And so please reach out to me with any of those things. Or if you're just really excited about some of the stuff that you're learning about, learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com, best way to reach out to me. Okay, now let me tell you a little bit about Marianne, and then we're going to dive into the conversation. 
So Marianne Lewis is Dean of the University of Cincinnati's Lindner School of Business and a professor of management. She formerly served as Dean at Cass Business School in London. Her work has appeared in major outlets such as the New York Times, CNBC, the Financial Times, and Harvard Business Review. Also, I do want to mention that uh, her co-author for the book is Wendy Smith as well. And she contributed to a lot of uh, the ideas and topics that we're going to cover into or in this conversation as well. But without any further wait, here is my conversation with Marianne Lewis. Marianne, it's so good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Caleb. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, one of the things that I typically love to ask people just as we get started, particularly people who have, you know, in your case, uh, published a book or worked on a work of art, I love hearing about what got you interested in the thing. And so just as we're going to talk about your book, both both and thinking, I would just love to hear what got you interested in paradoxes or what's the thing that made you go, yeah, I want to spend like literally years. I mean, I think it's like over a decade, right? Over oh, it's a decade. Almost 25 years, Caleb. Yeah. Long well, time on this. Decades then, yeah. Decades of of research and stuff. Well, no, I, I, I love the question. And um, Wendy uh, Smith, my co author, and I think about this a lot because you do tend to study things that either you live and or experience or you're just particularly sensitized to. When I started my early research, and I'm a management professor, I was studying innovation. And in, and my first study was around automation, right? Process innovation. And I, I was interested in the technology and I was certainly interested in the strategy, but what I really saw were tensions. Mm -hmm. I said, people just, you know, all these sorts of debates. Well, is automation about more flexibility or is it about more control? Is it about de-skilling or upskilling? Is it about uh, agility or discipline? I mean, and I could keep going on. And so I kind of stood back and I thought, oh, I, I live in those tensions. I mean, we, we all do, right? Work and life. Um, I don't know, my own, you know, discipline and spontaneity and some other things. And so as I was looking at it, it made me think, I think beyond the typical academic side, there's something here. And what I found was these studies of paradox, which basically means interwoven contradictions that are thousands of years old. I mean, the ancient Greeks, the Tai Chi, I mean, this was something that from philosophy to psychology, people had been thinking about, but I think we just stopped thinking about, right? We, we tend to think in a little bit more black and white, or at least we, we had come to think more in black and white, and then tensions just frustrate us. So that's kind of what led me down the track is I, I wanted to learn more. And then I started studying them in all sorts of places because people would come to me. And it was funny, Caleb, literally people would come and say, I've seen them. Hmm. Would you jump on this study and help me understand them? So now I went from studying automation to product development, to leadership, to governance, because they're everywhere. This is yeah. actually, this is part of the human experience is we live in tensions. Mm. Yeah. I'd be curious to hear, because I'm sure you've, you've gone through so many case studies, you know, examined so many things throughout history. What are some of the unique things just through your research and whether it be throughout history that, um, that are some of the unique paradoxes that, that you've seen 
I'll tell you one of my one of my favorites. Um, th there was a a study that I just became so fascinated with by a guy named Rothenberg in the 1970s, and what he was studying was creative geniuses. He was mm -hmm. studying Einstein and pa Picasso and Mozart and uh, a, a host of authors and others. And the reason why it was interesting is he's studying, you know, basically all their journals, all their letters, and with the question of how did they how did they do it? Right. And what he found mm -hmm. was these creative geniuses see tensions as opportunities. They mm -hmm. like the creative friction. Right. You had Mozart, who was looking at harmony and discord. You had Pablo Picasso looking at kind of light and dark movement and stillness. Einstein's theory of relativity literally was him trying to figure out how are atoms simultaneously in motion and at rest. And so he did one after the other. And so he called it Janusian thinking, but it basically means you can look in two directions at the same time. That was kind of one of the big sparks to me is that these aren't just frustrating. They're also opportunities, opportunities to learn and get creative. So, I mean, the, some of the examples I just gave you to me are the most interesting or today and tomorrow, right? What do you, how do you have strong foundations based on tradition and be modernizing? and be looking to the future because you need both. Mm. Yeah. Talk to me, talk to me about that. And like, what are some of the ways that you've seen people manage that tension? Because like my, my natural instinct is that you go, well, maybe you have a department that folk, you know, we'll use the today and tomorrow oh, who no. focuses on today. And then yeah. you have another department who focuses on tomorrow, but it's not, it's, it can't be that simple. <laughs> no, it's not quite that simple because so Maybe we should back up and just talk about a little bit about what's the traditional approach, yeah. because yeah. I think that'll get to what you're getting at. So, yeah, in, in the vernacular we're using in the book, we differentiate between, say, either or and both and. But either mm -hmm. or basically means that black and white, look, we have a couple of options. Let's weigh the pros and cons. Very logical. Let's make a decision and move on. It feels really good. It feels like we're in control. There's some order to it. Um, and in the case, of, like you just said, it doesn't always mean we just do one, but we really pull them apart. Like you said, you could say your R&D team, right? They're going to do your bold innovation. And then your operations team, they're going to keep the train routes running. That's all well and good. The problem is you need them both and you need to see how they're interwoven. And what very likely happens over time is whoever's typically it's at the top, starts to lean in their preferred direction, mm -hmm. right? I mean, so I'm a dean of a business school. I love innovation. And I know I have to have really good operations people around me, finance people, because if not, I will lean too hard on the innovation. And innovation, R&D by itself, it's expensive. It's risky, right? You don't, mm -hmm. you fund the the R&D the through your operations. And your R&D, when you hit it big, becomes right your future operations i mean they kind of flow together in that way uh, so the either or is limiting is basically my my key piece here which is yes it's nice and clean and it feels like we've got a sense of control but it's an illusion because as soon as we've sliced it in that way we've cut off all sorts of complexity that could give us more options more creativity. And these kinds of issues, like what we're talking about here today and tomorrow, efficiency and innovation, you can make a decision today, Caleb, but you'll make it again tomorrow, yeah. right? Or a few, give, yeah. give, it, give it a little time oh, yeah. and it's not going away. Yeah. 
So it's much more of a, how do you think about these together? And so the either or can lead you into some actually vicious cycles, some stuckness versus a both and. Mm. Yeah, I want to go back to what you mentioned of we all have a tendency to lean to one side or the other side. And so whether it be in yourself or just examples that you've seen in other leaders, what are some of the practices that you've seen that help help people safeguard against leaning into whatever their natural thing is all of the time? I, I like the way I like the way you put that, because I think there are a couple pieces here. One is I think we should talk a little bit about mindset, like the way we mm -hmm. think. But I'll, I'll jump over that for a minute and talk about practices because that's what yeah. you're asking. And we thought we talk about them as guardrails. So if you think about a guardrail on the road, I mean, basically the whole point is so you don't veer too far. That's the whole point. So one of the key practices that we, we've found uh, re leaders, organizations, individuals uh, who are really good at both and thinking use is they separate and connect. So it means, for example, you pull apart the challenges and you really dive into what is the value of each side and how do I get to that value? And at the same time as you're pulling it apart, and this is what we'll forget to do with either or, what are the dangers if that's all we do, right? What's the dangers if you lean really too hard on one side versus the other? And I can give you all sorts of interesting vicious cycle stories because people do it all the time because you start leaning and you keep leaning, right? Yeah. Versus the connecting part is you see that they work together and they balance each other out. And it's not like a static thing. It's, it's in movement, right? So that you're operating people, we're going back to that example, right? Are actually keeping you in line thinking, you're putting a lot of resources. We've got a lot of projects in the kind of radical R&D side. You're going to need to balance it. We, we don't have enough to pay the bills, mm -hmm. right? And to keep us going on the operational side. And so by holding those as a portfolio, holding them together, the leader in particular, or leaders or team can say, is it the right mix? And the mix isn't like static because yeah. if the world is really changing around you, you might say, well, we're going to lean a bit heavily more on the R&D. But you're always looking at it to reassess, do we need to shift it again? Right? We're, yeah. Economy is getting tough. We better be sure we're disciplined and efficient. I think we better lean a little bit more to the control side. I mean, so we I, I would do a lot of work on the leader's side, but typically it is a team that really is at the top thinking this way and yeah. probably guided by a, a top leader. But you've got to have multiple perspectives to make this yeah. work. Yeah. And I want to go back to, you know, you mentioned the mindset of how key that is. Can you talk and touch on that piece? Yeah, I, I, the mindset is really key. I mean, we've ended up doing actually a lot of research. We have uh, co-authors around the world that we've, we've, we've developed like an inventory. We call it the paradox mindset inventory, because what we found is that people really do differ to the really on two factors for this. The first is how much they see tensions. Like some people just don't see them as much. They're not as sensitized. It might be the work they do, their experience. Somebody like me who studies this all the time, I see them in my sleep. <laughs> I really do. But I meet a lot of leaders who see them too. So mm -hmm. the first is how sensitized are you? How much do you see tensions? And then the second piece is when you face tensions, do you embrace them, see them as opportunities. It doesn't mean that they're all good. Tensions are hard, but you, you see value to them or do you see them as a challenge just 
put your head down and either work through it or ignore it, avoid it. And those two combinations really change the mindset. What we found with, with measuring, and we've measured thousands of, of people on this scale, and we've done it in multiple languages now from, I think, Chinese, Hebrew, and you, and English have been the big ones so far, is that people with a more a higher paradox mindset, which is means they're really both-hand thinkers, they actually tend to be more uh, higher performers, more creative, and more satisfied at work. I mean, that's hmm. those are three big things to be able to yeah. say. And part of that is because if you have, if you face tensions at work, and I'm going to say that most of us do, the question is, do you have the tools to navigate them? Hmm. And that's what we're really seeing. Not just, well, navigate them. Can you make it work? But also, can you turn it into something, right? Like Rothenberg's geniuses. Can you actually make something yeah. that is really cool and interesting out of the tensions? Yeah. Talk to me about how you help other people develop that mindset or see that because I, I, cause I feel like I think that way too. And it's just very, it can be very frustrating of like, why don't you see things the way that I do? It seems so clear. And, um, how, how do you go about helping other people see like the paradoxes yep. and, or, or just, yeah, developing that mindset? No, it, it, and that's probably Caleb, one of the biggest things we get is it, especially because as a leader, it's really difficult when those around you don't think that way. And actually as a follower, if your leader thinks paradoxically, right, is a both-hand thinker, they, they can be confusing, Yeah. right? You, you, we have followers that say, I think my leader is giving me mixed messages. I don't understand what she or he is, right? Really, do they want me to do this or this? And then the person says, yes, meaning mm -hmm. I want you to do both. Yeah. So, you know, on the leader side, by the way, we do end up talking a lot about how do you communicate? So, because they're communications. To your question about, so how do you develop it? I think mm -hmm. there are a few pieces. Um, one of the first things that we really work on uh, when we do executive education or we do training is what is helping see the downsides of either or. Hmm. Because I don't think you can just jump to, hey, both hand thinking is really helpful. Here are all the positives of it. If you haven't actually studied what are the traps or vicious cycles of of, yeah. of, of either or. So so let me give you a couple yeah. um, that might be of interest. So you, you've said it you said it ni nicely before, is that one of the things that we've learned is that we lean toward our preferred sides, period. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter what the tension is, we will have a preferred side. It's absolutely natural and it's totally okay. The, the issue is how do you stop from over leaning? Yeah. So what we found, and this is our research, but it's a lot of other people's research, is um, the way you think, your leanings in a particular way. So uh, I'll pick something different. Well, well, we'll keep going on the innovation and efficiency. If you're somebody who loves innovation and you keep, every time you have a new strategic decision, you tend to be the risk taker. You're looking for the bold kind of blue ocean kind of opportunity. You push on that side. So you see what you expect to see. I mean, it's basically your blinders. Mm -hmm. So you walk into an opportunity. I mean, I, I, I tend to do this, which is why I surround myself with people who go, wait a minute, <laughs> right? Is And the first thing you say is, oh, there's a new market out there right? Oh, we could put a team on this and really get creative. Absolutely. But you could keep going because your cognitive, cognitive, the what you tend to emphasize influences what you tend to see, literally perceive. It also influences how you feel. 
So if I or somebody who's a really bold, innovative thinker gets put in a case where, you know, throw down a bunch of spreadsheets and tell me, figure out with discipline your numbers, I'm going to be very uncomfortable. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. There's, I mean, infinite psychology studies that say you are going to avoid that. It's just not, you know, get out of the discomfort. So now I have what I think, I have what I see, I have what I feel, and then it immediately influences what you do. So that's when you start to build habits. And that's how you get inertia, right? Because everything is reinforcing down that what we would call a rabbit hole. It basically means you get in a rut and you just keep moving in that direction. Um, you know, an example that we use in the book and was a study of mine years ago, but I just love it, is Lego as a company is a fascinating study that went down a serious rabbit hole. Uh, when it, when they were like about the year 2000, they were voted the toy of the century. They had become so focused on quality and control. I mean, they were rock stars at quality and control, but they did things like, it took them seven years to add the color green. It was their fifth color, right? They were so, you know, it took one person to say no and six people to say yes to get anything done. And again, they were the number one in their market. It worked. It worked for a long time until it didn't, until mm -hmm. Nintendo comes into the market, you know, kids' tastes and others start to change. The whole toy market globally starts to change and they are flat footed because they've built right the way they think, the way they see, the way they feel, the way they do all around one track. That's what we call a rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Okay, the second one, if, if I can give you, because it goes oh, yeah. right from Oh, there. yeah. I, I was going there. I was like going this? there anyway. Okay, the, so go the, for it. The second one is basically what happens when you go too far. So you can imagine Lego, it's about 2004, 2004, five, has this wake-up call first year ever. Imagine that, Caleb. Over 100 years of losing money first year. They go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, 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 what's just happened? And they kind of pull out of the rut and look around and think, wow, this world has changed. And it takes them about two years to realize they got to they got to get over to the innovation side. But what they do, this is the second vicious, vicious cycle, is they swing that pendulum and they swing it really hard. And that's what we call the wrecking ball, because now it's not just a gentle swinging pendulum. It is a destroy everything in the path that you've done and go all in on the other. So they hire the best thought leaders in the world in innovation to come to Denmark. They were considered picture perfect, textbook perfect, I think was the language. And they are cranking out new products. Well, within five years, they are to the brink of bankruptcy. They now have 157 colors, right? Their supply chain is totally out of control. They don't know what it costs each box. They don't know the margin on each box of Legos. I'm giving you kind of two specific examples, but the mm -hmm. point is any semblance of control and quality order is gone out the window to be the new bright, shiny, bold. They got, and they were very good at being innovative, but you, you still got to pay the bills, right? You, you've still got to make sure you're profitable and they had lost all that. So that's that second one of mm -hmm. you go from one rut into another and now it's a wrecking ball. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid you see that a lot. We see it in politics. We see it in all sorts, right? You see the pendulum yeah. just swing super hard. Yeah. Well, and even, and then I, I do want to get to the third yeah, one. Yeah, I want to hear uh, your question. 
But it, it even makes me think of, you know, a, a company or a, or a leader gets the results back from, um, let's say, like a negative performance review. And it's like, I'm, sw- you know, I, I want to do the right thing. And so I swing all the way to the end. And it, I don't know, I almost imagine like it looks like it works temporarily. It does. But, well, but you, you nailed it. It does work yeah. temporarily. And then you go, I fixed it. <laughs> But, but that's the issue with paradoxes. There's no fixing it because mm. it's not going away. I mean, that to me is when we say the big descriptions of paradoxes is contradictions. So you have these things that feel like you're pulled in opposite directions that are connected. They define and link to each other and they are persistent. They don't go away. Mm. You need both sides of that coin. Yeah. Right. As an example. No, but I love that you said that because I'm using examples from business, but we do this in our lives. We do this in yeah. our careers, right? You burn out and you go, I'm done. Go into an island. I don't know, you know, pick it. And then the next thing you know, you're like bored and complacent and, you, and you're going, I got to get back in the rat race, right? We, we, we do all sorts of things in our daily lives like this too, at a very human level, mm. that piece. Yeah. And, and especially like what you're talking about with Lego, like it's, you don't see the results until years later. And I just think of like, it is not natural to think in that long of a time. It's, no. it's, it's yep. month to month, it's quarter to quarter and everything. And so, um, like, what are some of the companies that you've seen, like, like handle that well to where it's like, yep, we have, we have, we have rabbit holed ourselves too <laughs> far. However, we know that we do not want to, you know, have the wrecking ball and swing all the way to the other well, side. I mean, I, I, you know, and I'll give you a, a, other examples too, but I will tell you, yeah. Lego got really good at this because they yeah. woke up after the the second death knell, right? And yeah. they said, okay, wait, wait, wait. What, what, what was best when we were really under control and what was best about our really great innovation? And they... And they constantly re, you know, review, our, do we have the right mix? Do we have really good R&D, new product development? And where's the controls? And are we always matching this? So, I mean, don't don't take this as a negative for Lego because yeah. I'm impressed that they figured it out. Thank goodness, yeah. right? Yeah, and they're still around today. Oh, yeah, and, they're, still, yeah. and they're considered one of the <laughs> most innovative yeah. companies in the world. So people talk about innovation, they are super controlled. They know all the numbers now. They have the quality yeah. down. So that's cool. I'll give you a, a different, because you asked about a company. Yeah. Um, actually, and, and it's our final chapter. We tend to use this one, but I, I love it. Uh, Unilever is a really interesting example. When Paul Pullman took over, they were in a death spiral. Unilever, which is a massive organization. Uh, at the time he was CEO, I think they, they uh, touched 2 billion consumers a day. Right. They're huge. Mm -hmm. And he but he didn't just take over to get them out of a hole. He basically came over and he said, you know what? I believe we can double our profits and cut our environmental footprint in half. And people and he called it the sustainable living plan. And people literally said, Caleb, uh, you know, it doesn't work that way. Right. The more you grow, the bigger your impact negative. And he said, no, no, we touch two billion consumers a day. We can't. We have to change that dynamic. And yeah. so he built back to that separate and connect. He made it very clear. There was always kind of a double column in every project. 
okay, you're going into Africa, you're starting a new product. Uh, I want to hear, see what your market share is going to be, your profit, right? Your sales, all of those pieces. And I want you to, at the same time, I want you on the other column to tell me, how are you reducing water? How are you cutting transportation? How are you engaging the local yeah. community? It was beautiful. He did it. He, he, he literally hit both goals. And he brought, obviously, Unilever totally out of the hole and made them the model of sustainability. That takes some vision. To your oh, yeah. point, right? This doesn't happen overnight. It takes saying, I see something in the future, which is one of the ways to connect, right? This is the long-term goal. And you have to be really persistent and resilient to get there because that's not easy. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about the the third one that you guys talk about that gets in the way, and that's trench warfare and, and also polarization, which yeah. literally I'm going through the book and I'm like, okay, I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's true. It is polarization. So t talk to me about that and how that plays out. And, and I'll tell you, Caleb, I, I think probably because of the world we live in right now, it's the vicious cycle. Uh, I think both Wendy and I are most uh, interested in right now and studying yeah. because it, it's just a train wreck. Yeah. But basically the idea of polarization, or we call it trench warfare, is you have different groups stuck in different ruts. They're not talking to each other. They're not seeing the connection. They are, I mean, literally, and, and the idea came when I was, I was the dean in London uh, for four years and just recently came back, where I was in uh, the Imperial War Museum looking at they have this beautiful exhibit of world war one and trench warfare is one of these it's it's actually kind of terrifying when you kind of watch what happened in world war one because they kept getting better and better at their trenches not winning the war they got really good at the technology how do you manage the people who else do you bring on all these things it just extended the war I mean, it was just a horrible, bloody war. So, you know, I'm not trying to be morbid with the analogy, but it's a good one because we have a lot of polarization in our oh, world. Yeah. And yes, a lot of it is political, but in organizations or our lives, it can also just be conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Two different groups or two different people who dig into the way they, again, see, perceive, feel, right, act, and don't listen at all. They just keep throwing, right? barbs over at the other it tends to be more like each side is diminishing and then finally they really dehumanize the other just they completely negate that they have anything to offer in the conversation and we think that's a horrible mistake because yeah. what paradoxes tell us is that these issues they're too complicated not to listen hmm. so we're missing we're missing yeah. points yeah i I want to maybe make the turn a little bit. And I want to talk about the leader who um, they're like, yep, those are my problems. <laughs> like, those, okay. those are my problems. And um, I, I guess I, I want to start with as a leader, how do you go about like addressing that? Like, let's say that, yep, those are my problems. Yep. What's my first step? How do I go about, you know, yeah, starting right. to turn it? The, the first step is you've got to change the question. Hmm. Meaning you have to frame your problems differently. Um, a, a renowned psychologist from Stanford made this statement years ago, and it's kind of one of our mantras now, which is the problem isn't the problem. The problem is the way you think about the problem. Mm -hmm. And his point, his name was Watts, is, was Watts Lewick. His point was, as soon as you state a problem, you've set boundaries around it. 
You've limited the way that you think about it. So if I tell you my problem is um, I've got to, you know, do I really focus on the traditions, you know, all the hard work that got us there? Or do I look to the future and I really shift hard? I mean, that was the way Lego asked their question in 2005. Yeah. You've given yourself two answers. That's it. Right. You've just said, is it about traditions, which means control and efficiencies, or is it about this bold future and innovation? Well, now I've set it up. I'm going to I'm going to do a trade off. Right. I'm going to set it up. I'm going to analyze the pros and cons of both of those. And I'm going to make a choice and move on. What if you asked a very different question? And sometimes this is it's as simple as literally adding the word and. Yeah. OK, but it, sometimes I'll see, you know, people do it a little differently. So I see a lot of firms that are looking at innovation and saying, you know, how do I boldly innovate in ways that build from my foundations? Hmm. Right. How do I, uh, Lego's uh, new vision after that was inspiring the builders of tomorrow. And so part of that sounds like it's all futuristic, but they've always been about the builders, right? They, they built their kind of legacy into the question. Or you have, you know, somebody like Paul Pullman at Unilever. So a lot of people were asking, okay, you know, do I focus on social responsibility or financial responsibility? Oh, uh, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a for-profit organization. I guess it's the for-profit. Maybe I'll set up a little corporate responsibility arm over here or a philanthropy for the organization, right? We had a lot of that. But the way basically Pullman was asking the question was, how do I increase my profits through sustainability, right? So he mm -hmm. basically said, we are going to hit our profits and we're going to do it in a sustainable way. But by doing that, he changed all the different projects and initiatives, the framing in people's minds. And I mean, that takes some work and I make it sound simple, but to me, that first step means, are you even paying attention to the question you're asking? Hmm. You just put a question on the table. You've got your team around, or it's just you sitting alone on, you know, on a hillside thinking, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. And how have you asked it? Have you, have you limited yourself? Maybe. Yeah. It, it even got me like, like the one that came to my mind of like replacing the or and the and is, is like, how do we, or do we take big swings or do we play it conservative? That's and it. instead, oh, no, I love that one. And instead it's how do we take big swings and play it? I guess cons maybe you wouldn't want to use conservative in it, but, and play it safe or not, not, uh, not put ourselves in danger or something like that. Yeah. But, but, but that's a good one. That's a really good one because yeah. You do want to swing for the fences yeah, and you better have a safety net, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, so what, what would you do next then? Okay. You know, you, you replace it with, or, or you replace and with, or as, as a leader, what's your next step? So my, my next step is once I've set up my question in a way that I can see the and, I would do the separating and connecting. Okay. Um, a, a tool that we often use is actually something a, a, a colleague of ours, Barry Johnson, developed called a polarity map. And it basically is a way to map out, take your opposites. And by the way, there can be more than two. But just as humans, we tend to polarize into two. We mm -hmm. kind of define what is but what by what it is not. So yeah. We typically see, and, and a lot of psychologists say the same thing, in twos. doesn't have to be, though. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's a map that you say, at our best, at our best in swinging for the fences, what does that look like? Oh, my gosh, it looks like it's energizing, right? It's bold. When, you hit, when it works, yeah. it's huge, right? 
And at its worst, what is it? Well, we have a lot of strikes, right? <laughs> Which means we have a lot of misses, it's risky, it's expensive, right? Flip side, do the same exact thing. At its best, what does it do? Oh, it's stable, right? You got all the pieces you need. It's orderly. People feel some real confidence. They know where they are on a daily basis. And what is it at its worst? It's boring, right? It's not really attractive to maybe top talent because they're not sure that they want to play it that safe. Um, you, you're never going to hit the big one, right? Mm -hmm. So if something you know major and disruptive happens in your industry, you haven't been experimenting. So then the question, I, so what I just laid out is yeah. kind of picture kind of four boxes. The two at the top are the pros and the two at the bottom at the, are the cons. The example I, I gave you with Lego, what you see is that you have almost this infinity loop shape. You start in the pros of one side, you take it to an extreme and the next thing you know, you're falling into the negatives. So you swing the pendulum up to the positives of the other and then the same thing happens. Eventually you swing to the negative. The goal is how do you stay in the upper quadrants as much as possible? And that means really thinking about how do I separate them and keep them held together so I always know I need both. Mm. And that's a practice you can do. You can do work-life balance. You can decide when am I working at home or working, we've been doing some work hybrid kind of stuff. Yeah. It's really interesting. And, you know, we, we did this, actually, we just had something in Fast Company that was interesting. It was a, a, a organization called Rocketbook. They mm. do um, uh, reusable notebooks. Really cool, innovative and we talked about how they did hybrid work. And basically, that's exactly what they did. They laid out what is best about working from home. Deep work, right? And I could tell you all that. And then yeah. they did the same thing. Why do we want to be together? And they figured out, okay, so we want the best of both of those worlds. How do we do that? What are the kind of policies, culture, hiring, right? There's so many things that we might, we can do. And they got really creative to try to keep at the pop, at the top ends of both yeah. of those just th that to me is the the second piece is really separate and connect with purpose okay uh there there's a couple of th man there's so many things i want to ask you no, about. i like it keep it going it's great okay so i want to give you a, a scenario so yeah. most most of my work is done in the church world and so one of the things i wanted to ask you about is like at least in my mind I can see a lot of things to where, you know, you mentioned sometimes it just tends to be two, like two yes. polar opposites. Right. And like in the church world, I think sometimes it can be that way. You know, you can say, hey, it's we focus on Sunday versus we focus on, you know, stuff during the week. Mm -hmm. You could focus on adults and then good you can also. Evil. Yeah, good, good yeah. and evil. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, you could focus on adults or you could focus on kids. However, yeah. like specifically like the kids and the adults thing, like I go, mm -hmm. I like it's that. actually a lot more complex than that because you go well who are the adult like because even in that i go well there's high school students and then there's middle school students and then there and you you see where i'm going you I see do. where i'm going with this and there's and there's yeah. young adults and it and especially like depending on the size of you know i guess in this case or this case the church or in, or in some cases the organization there are five there are five competing things or six competing things if that makes sense and it so is. And so I would just love to hear your thoughts on how do you go about, like, is it the same process? Like you just map out all you that added, stuff? Oh, yes. I, I mean, we've, we've seen, and Polarity Partners, the group that does this even more, just this is what they really specialize in. You mm -hmm. can have as many as you want. Yeah. But, but they would push you to 
be distinct. Be clear yes. about what you see those differences are. If everything just blurs together, you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I'm going to be philosophical for a minute and tell you one of the things that's that's fascinated us over the years is differences between kind of East-West. Because yeah. easily the yin-yang is my favorite symbol. Yeah. Like if I ever was brave enough to get a tattoo, I'd probably do that. But, <laughs> but because if you think about a yin yang, you've got the dark and light kind of define each other. You can see them flowing. If you can picture that, there's actually a dot in each side of the opposite color, because at, for example, your darkest point, a prick of light actually has the most power and vice versa. And then this boundary around it holds it together. So the reason why I thought about this with what you just said, Caleb, is that, um, Oftentimes, at early when I was studying paradox, I thought, oh, my gosh, the Tai Chi, Buddhism, they got this, they got this in down years ago. But a difference that actually the the West ends up being really helpful, and it goes to another both and with East and West, is they they call it the middle way. And, And they mean that very positively. It's always about this kind of flowing middle compromise. Well, I think one of the beauties we have in the in the West is we like the extremes. We can see the real di- power and value of these distinct elements at the opposites. So it's not finding some bland middle ground. And I'm not saying that's always what yeah. they were trying to say, but it's actually, if you separate, you're trying to maximize the best at the extremes. It's not, a. that's why even the word balance always makes us nervous because yeah. it sounds like you compromised. And that's yeah. not, a, that's not what we're saying. We're saying get creative and find a way to get the extreme positives of both. And and yeah, I think to me that excites me because then you say, I get it. It's not just adult and child, right? Yeah. There's lots of pieces in the middle, but why do, we got to get clear enough on maybe whatever those buckets are so that we can say at our best, how do we support them, mm. right? Yeah. And if that was all we focused on, what would we miss in the others or Actually, could we overdo it if we focus on them too much, right? Because we're not giving them enough agency and yeah. Yeah. And 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 again, it just helped me think of go like you just like sometimes you just have to add multiple ands. (laughs) You have to add multiple. Yeah. You do. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I want to talk about uh, the communicating piece because you you mentioned that a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. And so how do you go about like communicating like to two people who fall into either side on the thing and communicating like, Hey, the, about this tension, about this paradox, that it is a paradox and working through, what are some of the the ways that you've seen people communicate really well, that, that dynamic. Okay. So, so now you're, you're saying particularly, how do you talk to people who might be in different trenches? Is that what you're yes. saying? Maybe. And yeah, cause, cause I can imagine, and I guess I'm thinking more on like the, the one to many, scale because i i can get there like pretty pretty easily in my head because you can you can tell oh this person is following along with me they aren't following along with me um and everything but on the on the one to many or the presentation no no let's start with the one to many but we we could could also look at kind of more the when there's extreme conflict and i think they're a little bit different um in terms of the one to many uh i'll give you an interesting example and we we have a number of them in the book but like Wendy did some primary work with IBM. She also did it with um, Terry Kelly from Gore. They did Gore-Tex. And in both of those cases, one of the things she found that the leaders did is 
they were really consistently inconsistent. So we use that language a lot because now we see it a lot with our readers. And basically what that means is, because your, your followers are going to say, I don't know, what are you, are you waffling? Are you changing your mind? You have to constantly tell them we're doing both. We're doing the multitude, right? We're putting our arms around all of the groups you just said. So when you tell me who matters most, I'm not going to answer that. But in certain times, I'm going to say, you know what? It's been really tough during COVID. We got to help this, the younger children yeah. get back engaged. We are going to put some focus. And remember, we are going to, we are focused on the multitudes, right? We're looking at them all. So the reason I say those two organizations, like every major meeting, those leaders would start with a reminder, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the big yeah. picture. Here's the, here's the overarching, like the circle around the yin yang yeah. holding it. And today we've got some real work to do on X. Okay. And that, that kind of always says there's a context and today we've got some work to do here. It doesn't mean tomorrow I might say, and by the way, it's the adults today. They're yeah. struggling, right? <laughs> They're burnt out. How do we help yeah. them? You know, and that's how you start to pull that together. But so that's probably the strongest communication approach. Mm -hmm. I think the other piece to that, I would say, and you can tell me how that this might work in a church setting as well, yeah. but I'll go back to the Unilever. I mean, he had profitability and sustainability in every process and routine. Every Everybody's metrics had both. When, you know, they put out something for hiring, right? The questions in interviews had both, right? It was one of those things that it wasn't just starting meetings like that. He baked it into the culture and the processes in the organization. It was just muscle memory by the time people were doing it. Cause you know, every, and I saw it because I was taking students to study abroads at Unilever in like Costa Rica and Paris and other places. Didn't matter who you talk to. They got it because they saw it all the time. So that, I mean, that's another way to think about it, right? How do you say high level often so they see the both? That's a vision that holds it together. And then how do you bake it into more details? Yeah, as you were talking, it even just helps me think through, like you're almost like oh, you're listening for the or or the and. And, and of like mm. just of people asking the question and going like, you know, is it this or is it that? And it's like that, nope, it's a it's just and. Okay, but I, I, I love that question, Caleb, because we've had people say, well, wait a minute, isn't e both and or either or and either or? And we said, well, yeah, that's what we meant, right? But you have to do a lot of either ors in the both and. Yeah. Right? Like what I just said is today we're going to focus on the kids. That, mm. Right? That's an or because that is what is needed today, right? Mm. We have an issue. We're going to deal with that. Some days you have to do that. That's absolutely appropriate. Yeah. And maybe that leads to a different thing. I would just, I, I think it's worth noting is yeah. people have said, asked me, you know, what does success look like? Hmm. Right. What do outcomes look like when you do this really well? What does it look like? And we find two types. We find something we call creative integration. And we have something we call dynamic balancing. So creative integration, we use the analogy of a mule. It's stronger than a horse, smarter than a donkey, right? It's a hybrid. And most people, when they think of both and, they assume that's what we're talking about. Oh, win-win. Oh. That's great, right? It's like the creative genius of, of Einstein's quantum physics, right? But you think about it, those are rare. Yeah. 
And, and so I think setting the expectations is important. I'm not saying they won't happen. Sometimes they do, right? Serendipity, you've got everything together and you come up with a brilliant idea like the geniuses of, of I said earlier. More often, we do something called dynamic balancing and use the analogy of a tightrope walker, which just means you keep moving. You are looking ahead and you're making micro shifts back and forth because you always need to be doing both. And it's like juggling. You're not actually doing it simultaneously because that's not how our bodies and minds work, right? So we've got yeah. these slight adjustments, but by keeping your eye on the horizon, the point is you keep moving. And if you lean too far, you fall off the wire, mm. right? So that yeah. kind of helps you think yep. about it. So, and sometimes we joke that you find a mule on a tightrope, right? In that process, <laughs> You find a win-win. You find a way that the kids and the and the parents yeah. are, are beautifully happy, right? Yep. It happens. It does happen. It's yeah. just not always. If you say that's the only thing you're going for, you'll be disappointed because those are really hard and they don't happen a lot. And when they do, it's great. Yeah. yeah. And talk to me about, you mentioned dynamic balancing. Can you talk about that? Well, this dynamic balancing is the tightrope walking. And the reason okay. why we really want people to think about that as the primary and the win-win as the secondary is dynamic balancing helps people realize because paradoxes are persistent, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? So mm -hmm. it's a learning process. You keep moving as you experiment with the left and right, right? You kind of do these just justifications or these shifts. You're always learning about how you do it better. And how do you kind of look around you to understand what's going on in your context? So the shifts are, are timed well. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. takes practice, but I think it gives us some humility, Caleb, to kind of think it, there's not a perfect way. People still, even, you know, with both and I can get to an end of a talk and someone says, okay, but what's the, what's the right answer? It's like, no, your answer could be different than mine, right? You, yeah. The, the situation you're working in, I'm not there right yeah. in your day to day. The point is to really have a learning mindset in this approach. Mm. Yeah. And and you mentioned humility and what the word, the other word that came to my mind is flexibility yes. as well. Okay. And so let's, and you know, you mentioned the learning mindset. How do you go about like developing that into yourself? Because I think all of us, I think probably have a tendency to go, I'm a learner. I'm flexible. I'm, <laughs> I'm humble, all of that, um, which, which again, it's just one of those things of, okay. yeah, well, you can never be enough of those things. Mm -hmm. And so talk to me about how you go about developing that mindset in yourself and how can you maybe help, maybe you find your team and you're going, okay, it is a little bit of black and white. How do I help encourage them along the way to move more towards that, that gray, that flexibility, that humility? Oh, okay. And, and I really love that question because, uh, and I, I, I'm kind of keep going back to some core examples, but yeah. Lego certainly thought they were learners. Yeah. They certainly <laughs> thought they were flexible. It, it wasn't until they went, what on earth have we done? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so I think your question is key. It's like, how do you, because you only see what you expect to see. So you're going to miss this until it is really right in your face. Mm -hmm. Right oh my gosh, we have to make a big change. And then it's yeah. dangerous because you can overcorrect, right? That happens all the time too. So how do you how do you build things into what you do that help you be a humble learner, yep. right? That's your yep. question. Yep. So I've seen a few examples. I mean, one is thinking about who do you surround yourself with, or at least periodically, who do you surround yourself with? 
This isn't a political polarization statement. People use this all the time, the echo chamber. We all do it, right? Yeah. This isn't just about politics because you tend to attract similar people. You tend to build teams that, gosh, we get along great, right? This is groupthink 101. And then you realize, oh no, we've been missing things because we don't have certain views in, in the table. Some of it is, as, and, and I say it's as simple as, and that's always like a kiss of death because nothing's simple. But <laughs> like saying on your team, I need somebody to play devil's advocate, which sounds funny in a religious atmosphere, yeah. but, right? I really need yeah. someone to tell me, always be the, what are we missing? Yep. Right. Yep. What if the opposite is true? What if something right? Or we have examples. Um, this one organization that we just love to work with um, was a social enterprise. They built a board and they made sure that they had a real mix of people. So, no, they weren't on the daily operating group. But this was this advisory group that when they when they would per meet periodically, they weren't fun discussions because they'd say, hmm. whoa, what have you been? but they always came out better because they hadn't gone too far down the rabbit hole, mm. right? They had, you know, this is a social enterprise. So they'd have people on there going, your, your account, your books aren't adding up. Like, are you being smart enough on your finances? Are you using your resources well? And at the same time, they'd have activists on that board saying, are you really serving your mission? Are you really serving those, the people yeah. here? And the point was the only way to serve their people is to have the books add up, right? And yeah. if, if the books aren't going to add up if I'm not serving my people, because who's going to support me, right? So that was a really yeah. powerful example, but they built it into, yeah, how do you have people on the board? How do you make sure that in conversations you're pushing yourself? Simple, even things like, what are you reading, right? Mm -hmm. Are you bringing in an outsider periodically to give it a little bit of a view. This is why consultants can sometimes make a big difference. They have no horses in the race. Mm -hmm. They can walk in and say, did you see that over there? Did, are you realizing that could be an issue? You, you just sometimes need a fresh perspective. Outsiders are really helpful in that regard. Yeah. I know that there's there's so much more stuff that we could talk about in the book, but is there anything just top of mind that you're like, and, and could be just in light of our conversation or just stuff that you want to talk about that we haven't covered yet in the book. Well, I think maybe one thing we should talk about is is a secondary part to your question of, of how do you deal with the situations where you might have people on really opposite trenches? Yeah. Um, because I do think that is very challenging. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I do think, I mean, the area that I see a lot of this happening is political polarization. Yeah. I don't just think it's politics, but... Um, it concerns me a great deal because if you want to ensure that you don't learn, stop listening, right? Seriously. Stop. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. So, you know, it's things we've seen really interesting examples. I'll give you a couple. Um, one is uh, kind of tactics that foster curiosity, you know, so mm -hmm. instead of debating and Adam Grant says this beautifully in his book, uh, think again, I love his book. Think again. Oh yeah. Right. His whole point is, yeah, how do you come in with curiosity? Meaning, make your first question, not a, let me tell you why you're wrong, but help me understand why you're you're thinking. Explain that to me, right? Let's go a little bit deeper. What's your background, right? I mean, because oftentimes your life experiences are a big part of where you are. Help me understand that. Oh, you can see such different views to some of our most challenging global conversations if you understood 
what, what was your childhood like? I mean, yeah. all sorts oh, yeah. of those things, right? So there's the curiosity piece to help me understand, right? Not in a condescending way, really help me understand. You're not, the point is, I, I'm not asking you to convince me. I, I want to understand your thinking and where it came from in that background. That is so beautiful and powerful and you can learn so much from each other. And now you have a human connection and nothing mm -hmm. is going to break a truly human connection. It's so key. Um, it's why actually some of the trench warfare things changed on Christmas Eve as right. People came out of the trenches yep. together. Yeah. It's human. The other kind of example I would give you is um, a beautifully paradoxical practice is improv, like improv mm -hmm. in comedy, improv in music, because improv actually has a lot of rules because the rules let you be really creative in the, you know, you basically are creative in the box right? Not thinking outside mm -hmm. the box. So one of the best rules of improv is called yes. And I don't know if you've ever seen that. So seconds I have. Yeah. Beautifully in Chicago. Actually, we've worked, we're working with them on some things, but, but second city basically says, okay. So when someone gives you their argument, you say, yes. And have we thought about what, you know, and so you kind of do a follow-up question, not a combative defensive question, a, fo a follow-up question or a follow-up comment. Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, uh, climate change is really concerning to me. Good point. Uh, and how are we gonna make sure that we don't have geopolitical challenges like we had just had in Sri Lanka? How do we do this in a timing that doesn't overdo, you know, I mean, I could yeah. we could go into all sort of big wicked problems with this. Oh yeah. Right? I, I would love Caleb to see us have more of those conversations. Yeah. I, I think without them, we are going to stay in our separate rabbit holes and we are going to miss mm. so many opportunities to learn and grow together. Yeah. And it even just makes me think of like, uh, um, fairly recently, um, in, in one of my counseling sessions, my, my counselor was talking with me about, um, dysfunction and he was saying, you know, one of the f biggest signs of dysfunction is that you don't talk oh, and yeah. <laughs> anywhere that you don't talk, it leads to dysfunction and, it, and it's true no matter what environment it's in. Yeah. Well, and, and I think from a psychological perspective, it's the classic challenge of defenses. A defense mm -hmm. mechanism, like not talking, staying quiet, feels comfortable in the moment. It is counterproductive in the long term because you're not going to fix anything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a really nice example there. So one of the questions that I love just asking from time to time is, and especially like with all of your experience in management, I would just love to hear what are the things that you're thinking about and learning about right now in management? What are the things that's captured your curiosity? Um, uh, you know, I think one of them comes to just the nature of leaders and leadership. And maybe this is because, yes, it's about management. I'm also the dean of a business school. So I try to practice what I profess and it's hard, right? So a lot of what we've been talking about is kind of the tensions that we feel in decision-making, right? Like we're making a strategic decision, we're making an operational decision. Well, I, I, I think that at a more human level, leaders, right? This is the, am I going to be confident and bold or am I going to be a humble listener? Yeah. You better be both. Right. Yeah. Um, am am yeah. I going to be, you know, a classic? I, we're doing some interesting work with women's leadership. And one of the tensions that we hear around women leaders is this this difference. And obviously, this isn't just women, but it's kind of being pronounced there is being whether compassion and competence are contradictory. 
But the way it often feels with women leaders is they are. If I if I'm mm -hmm. solely confident, right? It does all sorts of great things to help me climb the ladder, but I kind of I can come off as cold and I can come off as maybe too much of a hard driver. If I'm co compassionate, I can build great teams and I can bring people in and I'm really good at that. And then I can be seen as soft, right? Not really the rigorous driving type, but great leaders are both of those pieces, yeah. right? Or a Brene Brown, you know, her whole point about vulnerability and courage. Yes, they're both two sides of the yeah. same coin. So I think just personally, as well as in, in the leadership work that I do, yeah. I see how do we help people be comfortable in those tensions that make you a better leader navigating tensions, yeah. right? I mean, that's where I find, I mean, I, you can hear it, Caleb. I see them everywhere, right? They're knotted, yeah. they're nested, oh, yeah. right? The way we live and act is going to influence our ability to thrive or get stuck in these tensions. Um, and I do think it has to start with the individual, and, and I hope yeah. we can get better at that. And I hope we're, you know, with this book and other tools, we're providing opportunities to help people just think through them. So we really wrote this book, even though our, our original work was very organizational. I mean, this is Wendy and I, we've just become dear friends over time. We're very, we're different religions, right? We've always had, we've had mm -hmm. so many fascinating conversations over 20 years, 20 plus years. And we realized this is, this is human. This is the human yeah. experience. And the more we got into the psychology and the more it, internal pieces, the more we thought we're going to write a book that, yeah, it's got a lot of business in it. It's about life. It's yeah. about the life tensions yep. that we all live. Oh, yeah. So much. Well, I know that people are going to want to pick up the book, both and thinking and keep up with you. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? Thank you. I mean, the book is available in all, all sorts of places from Amazon to your your more independent uh, bookstores. And I appreciate that. It is both and thinking, embracing creative tensions to solve your toughest problems. And it's Wendy Smith and myself, Marianne Lewis. In terms of co contacting me, you're welcome to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Instagram, or at the University of Cincinnati, which is where I'm Dean of the Lindner College of Business. And I, I love what I do and school starts shortly. So it's yeah. going to be a lot of fun once the students come back. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Marianne, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And just thanks so much for doing the work and uh, just participating in this great conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Caleb, for all you do. I think your podcast is beautiful. It's, it's wonderful to encourage learning the way you do. Oh, thank you so much. So here's a couple of things that I am thinking about from that conversation and really just going through the book, um, you know, both and thinking. I think the first really big takeaway from it is where we get stuck in terms of paradoxes of what she was talking about, or what Marianne and, and Wendy write about in the book of the ideas of rabbit holes for intensification of just completely focusing and burrowing down into that wrecking balls as well of just swinging all the way to the other side of the pendulum because it's like okay so we focused more on productivity instead of caring for people so we're going to focus all of our energy on caring for people but then you forget about or then the the productivity and like the get doneness over or um it is lacking in that and then you swing all the way back and it's like okay we're going to focus on getting stuff done we're going to focus on being productive we're going to focus on being efficient 
and then the people side wax and we overcorrect. and the last one is just trench warfare as well of polarization and we see this so much in the in the political uh field and it really just got me thinking that this isn't just a political idea depending on how you hold your beliefs how you hold the thing that you value most that can lead to us becoming polarized and ultimately demonizing the other side and before you know it you think that the other person the people on the other side they don't care about the business or personally they maybe they don't care about your friendship or they don't care about your partnership or they don't care as much about your family and maybe it feels like they're not only do they not care but you tell yourself they're they're trying to harm my family even though or they're trying to harm me even though they're part of my family or they're not for me even though they're part of the family or whatever it might be or they're not they're trying to harm my team they're trying to harm the company that I'm a part of, whatever it is. It's very easy to become polarized and then we demonize through it. And I think the other idea, and it's just very simple, is anytime that there's an or, figure out how to make it an and. And I think one of the best examples that I think about recently is uh, Craig Rochelle. And Craig Rochelle is the pastor of Life Church which is, you know, I don't know how many uh, multi-site churches that they have right now, but they have so many. They're, 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 uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that they have tens of thousands of, of people who, um, who attend Life Church, you know, every weekend and stuff. And one of the, the um, recent debates that has happened in the church world has been, do you focus on your online service in the online community that you're building or you do do you focus on the on the in-person experience in that and i love his answer he says we're going 100 on both we're doing both it's not either or it's not online or in person it's online and in person and how can we do both of those and just realizing that that doing both of those well, and I think this is the idea of paradox, is that sometimes it requires us to slow down, to figure out what our capacity is, and then build up the structure so that we can do more and go further faster in that. And so those are just a couple of things that I am thinking about. I really enjoyed, and I just I just love learning about these ideas of paradoxes because again, it's just not conversations that are typically talked about, but are experienced every day. So those are some of the things that I am thinking about from this conversation. I would love to hear from you as well. And maybe some of the things that you are thinking about. And the best way to reach out to me is learners corner podcast at gmail.com with some of your takeaways from this or just things that you're learning about in general. Now I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. Thank you uh, to Marianne for being on the podcast and to Wendy as well for just doing the work to just create this book. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.